Is it on? Yep, very good. All right, good to be with you again. Now, I hope you don't mind, but I am going to conclude just some thoughts from this morning in relation to the ministry, because I know that I will not have time even enough tomorrow to, uh, to cover this subject. So let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I will just, could you refresh me, David, what time the, uh, uh, that I'm supposed to be off this podium? Just with the lights on the clock there at 2.50, okay, 2.50. Well, if I go way past 2.50, I can blame the, the uh, lights on the clock obscuring my view. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let us read from verse 5. <clears throat> but with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 11. Now, these, all these things happened unto them for ensamples, for the, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world the age are come. Wherefore, let him that think he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Now, we want to hurry on just to uh, conclude some thoughts, or really continue some thoughts in this chapter in relation to the apostle and his teaching as to self-discipline in the life of the believer. If we're ever going to move forward in our Christian lives, and if we're ever going to arrive at the end goal with the prize in view, intact, we are, it is absolute necessity that we exercise self-discipline in our own lives. Paul the Apostle, as I mentioned this morning, he has uh, drawn the analogy of a race, and we're all running this race. He opens chapter 10, and he begins by stating to the Corinthian believers that we all started in the same fashion. Every one of us came to Christ for salvation, and upon faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we commenced this Christian journey. It is expected, it is the natural expectation of God that upon the grounds of salvation, beloved brothers and sisters, and I don't know if there's an individual here this afternoon who is saved and not yet baptized, it is the expectation of God for your soul that you would take the step through the waters of baptism and obedience to Him. You see, this brings to our attention that the first step of the Christian pathway is a step of obedience. You remember the first step of our human parents, Adam and Eve. It was a step of disobedience. And so God contrasts this then in the, in the church age. And he expects that the first immediate step in the life of an individual who has trusted Christ to be a step of obedience. We know, of course, it is a step of obedience to trust Christ. It's actually the first act of worship in the life of an individual. 
But the first step of obedience along that pathway is through the waters of baptism. And so the apostle here, he draws this to their attention. He says, you remember how you started. You all started the same way. Just like Israel, they left Egypt sheltered under the blood. And it's only those who are sheltered under the blood that can enter through the waters of baptism. In fact, there's a dual baptism here in view. He says, in the cloud and in the sea. In the cloud, the little preposition that's used there would indicate to our minds that this is immersion. Baptism is not sprinkling. That's not baptism at all. Baptism is going under. You know what baptism is. It is going under. It is being under. And it is emerging out from. Going under. That's death. Being under. Under the water. That's burial. Emerging out of, that's resurrection. And so he draws again this to their attention. We all started in the same fashion. They all passed through the Red Sea. And of course there's great significance to the day which they passed through the Red Sea. They passed through the Red Sea on the 17th. The Passover was held on the 14th and they passed through the Red Sea on the 17th. I always feel conspicuous with this thing hanging around my ear and against the mouth, but I'm sure... We'll get through. So they passed through the Red Sea on the 17th. That is significant, of course, because it's the day of resurrection for our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the very same day that the ark rested. It's the very same day that our Lord Jesus arose out of the tomb. And so he draws their attention to this great truth that they all started in the same way. It was those who are responsible that he is addressing. All our fathers, he says. I want to bring to our attention something, brothers and sisters. Maybe, I always feel a little bit nervous. Now, Brother Dan, he prayed last night, Dan Shutt, uh, or, or he mentioned this in his ministry, that we should not speak beyond our experience. And we shouldn't. Although I do wonder sometimes how Timothy, a young man, had the solemn responsibility to address the subject of elders and but we know exactly what you mean, brother. And we shouldn't. I'm on sensitive ground here because I suppose I am particularly speaking to an older generation. Why is it far worse for those of an older generation to fail? Well, you don't have the excuse of youth. In youth, we're foolish. We do things that we regret. There's no excuse when you're older for that. In old age, failure, recovery is so much more difficult. And time is so limited in view of recovery. I'm talking about the natural course of events now. As young people, we expect that if the Lord leaves us here for a little longer, that we will go on and we will grow up and we will mature and blossom in the things of God. But to fail at the end, what a tragedy. But maybe the greatest thing is this. To fail at the end, you carry far more influence on a generation that's below you or generations that are below you. And the tragic effect of the influence on those who look up to you and those who look up to men that stand in this very place. So let us be careful. He says, you all went through the waters. You all started on the same ground. 
all started out the same, had the same supply, the same spiritual food. Interesting, uh, he brings in here the deity of Christ. He refers to Christ as the rock which followed them. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 78, you would find the term for God there as the rock of Israel. And you could not deny that that's talking about the eternal God, Jehovah. Well, says the apostle, for any of those that knock on your door and try to deny the deity of Christ, you just point them to this verse here. The rock which followed them, the eternal God, is Christ. And there is no denying the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks he brings in a great truth here. I just want to, I, I, I want to just linger on this for a moment or two. Notice the order. The, these vital lessons in the subject of baptism are of great importance to us, brothers and sisters. Because we so often get this the wrong way around. And I don't really know where this notion came from. That you kind of have to get saved and then walk for a period of probation, maybe a number of years. And Some people would even dare to put a, an age limit on baptism. I never find those things in the Word of God. And we must come back to the Word of God for our authority. If I'm saying anything that's not according to the Word of God, you stop me. You speak to me. But when we come to the Word of God, there is no thought that an individual would walk in probation as a Christian. And then finally, after some years of walking as a Christian and proving themselves that they're worthy of baptism, then they can enter through the waters of baptism. I wonder whether this is the problem. I wonder whether the problem is actually the other way around. What we fail to do and I place the emphasis firmly on the likes of myself as a preacher of the gospel, I wonder whether the failure lies in this, that we do not preach the solemnity and the seriousness of sin, and what it is that when you are saved, you're separated from the old life. Baptism is just a physical illustration of what has taken place in the life of an individual already, that I'm dead to the world crucified with Christ. And I wonder if it's because we haven't been able to preach that, brothers and sisters, because some of us who preach the gospel, maybe our lifestyles are out of kilt with what we try to preach. And so things get watered down and easy believism comes in. And it's just suddenly an easy thing. You can hardly determine who's a Christian and who's not a Christian because everyone seems to live like the world and there's no separation and there's no distinction and so we have to make people kind of prove themselves. If we started back rightly to begin with and preach the gospel as we ought to preach the gospel and maintain testimony as we ought to maintain testimony, I think we would have less of a problem. Maybe not no problem. I think there is wisdom, of course, that is needed in every situation. But we come to this great truth. Look at it with me. They were all baptized, verse 2. And then, verse 3, they did all eat. They didn't eat before they were baptized. That's the principle of God in the Scriptures. Baptism. And then we go on, and we eat and we drink. 
and the great spiritual rock that followed them was Christ. Now, I want to look just briefly before I get on to the report, just to look at some of these things which will be of a help to us. I'm very glad that Dan, well, I'm very glad of both of Dan's ministry, uh, but Dan has already, Dan Shutt has already uh, alluded to this today in his ministry, so I'm not going to go too much over ground that he has already covered. But this has been upon my mind, and I must impart it to you. Look at verse number 6 now, or verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. Then down in verse 11, these things happened unto them for our examples. The Holy Spirit here is imparting to us a vital truth that there are great lessons to be learned from the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. Brothers and sisters, don't dismiss the Old Testament. Don't dismiss lightly the lessons that are left for us upon the page from the nation of Israel. So vital how God instructed them, the failures of this great nation before God Himself. And they have been left indelibly planted upon the page of Scripture that we may learn from them, that we may not make the same mistakes as them, that we may not be disqualified like they were, that we might arrive at the finish line having said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for leaving those things on the page of Scripture that I could learn from another's failures and may never make them myself. That's just the goodness of God towards us, isn't it? And so he says, these are some of the failures which disqualified these people. Indulgence. They lusted after evil things. He speaks about their appetite. Verse 7, he speaks about their apathy. They sat down. Laodicean. Verse 8, he speaks about their affections. They gave their affections immorally to another. They were taken away. They were seduced. He speaks about their attitude to the person of Christ. They tempted Christ. Really, they, they loathed what spoke of Christ, which was the manner. To put it in today's context, they got bored of the simplicity of Christ, and they wanted something more exciting. I want to touch on that. And then their allegiance. They murmured against their leaders, particularly Moses and Aaron. And we have to be very careful. So just some of lessons from this then. Their indulgence. You remember in Numbers chapter 11, and if you have a pen, just note these scriptures down because God intends for you to go over these scriptures in detail that you might learn lessons and that I might learn lessons. In Numbers chapter 11, he speaks about when they turned back and they longed to go back to Egypt and they longed for the things that they were eating in Egypt. Do you remember what it says in Numbers chapter 11? They remembered the fish and they remembered the cucumber and the garlics and the things. This is what it says, that they ate in Egypt freely. Now there's an oxymoron if there ever was one. There's no such thing as freedom in Egypt. And there's no such thing as eating freely in Egypt. No. Dan has already brought to our attention this afternoon that sin has a great price. There's nothing free about it at all. But these people made the mistake of remembering that they ate these things freely in Egypt, or the sore price that they paid when they were in Egypt. 
and what it would be to go back. You see, if you analyze each one of these things that the apostle brings to the attention of the Corinthian believers here, it's interesting. You can go through the epistle to the Corinthians and find every one of these problems. You go back to chapter 6 and you'll find that the, the uh, appetite of the Corinthian believers was turning back to what they formerly held to, formerly had. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you used to be that way, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed. Don't go back. It's been said before, and I quote again, what you feed on the most is what will grow the most. You feed the flesh, the flesh will grow. You feed the spirit, the spirit will grow. And you know the flesh is warring against the spirit. You wouldn't want to aid the enemy of the spirit by feeding it and causing it to grow. No, so he says, just watch your appetite. Young men, and I include myself, I'm still a young man, very much so. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. I think someone said that I would pass for a 28-year-old. So that's good. Let's keep it there. Young men, what are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? Young sisters, what are you feeding on? Now, now naturally, because the, God, the way that God has made us, designed us, we, we are naturally drawn as males and females to different things. And, and as males, we're very visual. What are we feeding on? What is our appetite? If our appetite had to be analyzed this afternoon, what, what, what do I feed on most during the day? I make sure I don't miss breakfast and lunch and tea as we call it, supper as you call it. I have those vital meals of the day, but what am I feeding on in this pathway that's leading to a destination with a prize in view? Is it spiritual things or are they carnal things? What occupies my time in the main? Good to analyze these things. You see, he's already told us that there's enough provision in Christ. The spiritual food and spiritual drink in the Word of God. Could I just back up what has already been said today? Mix with Christians who are more spiritual than you are. That will help you. That will help me. And it will preserve me too. Mix with Christians who are more spiritual than you are. Idolatry. He says, neither be idolaters in verse 7. He addresses the subject of idolatry here. You remember, he turns them back to Exodus chapter 32. And he speaks of how uh, when Moses was up the mountain for those 40 days, that the people became restless and, the, and they became apathetic, actually. And they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And they weren't playing Cluedo. No. They were engaging in, in, in sinful activity. In fact, when Moses came down the mountain, they were naked. And what was going on was beyond what I would be prepared to describe to you this afternoon publicly in a, for, in a place like this. The tragedy of what it is to become lukewarm. The Lord Jesus speaks about this with the Laodicean church. And he said it's a, it, it makes him sick. 
He will spew it out of his mouth. It's an abomination, the reality of the word. Brothers and sisters, are we becoming apathetic about the things of God? Take it or leave it. Just cruise along. Idolatry, covetousness. Notice the word here. He says, neither become ye idolaters. That's the thought. You never wake up tomorrow morning if you're living a Christian life as we ought. You'll never wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly have another God. It is a process. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Materialism. We live in an age of materialism. And when we start to focus on materialistic things at the expense of Christian pathway, when my job and making money becomes more important than being at the meetings, when it becomes more important than a prayer life, reading the scriptures. When materialistic things take hold of me, I want to put it succinctly like this. Just think about this. Do you have hold of materials or do they have hold of you? That's a simple way of looking at it. Now we all have materials and they're necessary, etc. But do I have a grip on them and control of them? Because that's what the apostle is talking about here. He had control of his body. He brought it into subjection. Or do they have control on me? Idolatry, immorality, neither let us commit fornication. Tells us in one day, 23,000 fell. If you went back to Numbers 25, you'd find it's 24,000, but that's the total. In one day, 23,000 fell because of their immorality. And that was the defilement from Baal, from Balaam. You remember Balaam tried to curse the people of God and three times he failed. If he couldn't curse them, the solution was to corrupt them. And he corrupted them with the daughters of Moab. Immorality. Then he speaks about those that tempted Christ. We've made reference to that already. They, they loathed the manna. They got to the stage where the manna just became boring to them. It was not enough. I want to stop here. Something that we should be afraid of. And we very definitely, in a Laodicean age, live in a time of which the Lord Himself describes as we are rich and in need of nothing. We have everything. So much so that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and the simplicity of our gatherings under Him start to seem to become not enough. We need something to spice things up. We need some entertainment happening. Because Christ in His simplicity is not enough for us. Let us guard against that. I want you to think of this with me briefly. And 
you can go away in your own time and think of this in more depth. Consider the words of the Lord Jesus to the Laodicean church. He said, you're rich, you have need of nothing. You don't realize that you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're miserable. I don't know whether you've ever sat and thought about these things. I'm sure you have. I'm way behind all of you. But just to sit and reflect, listen to this. He says, you know not. Now, I'm going to stop and ask you a question. Have you ever felt miserable? Of course. Everyone in the audience here with this afternoon would say, I know what it, like, what it feels like to feel miserable. I can point to certain times in my life, and maybe I'm speaking to someone now, and you, you feel miserable. I trust that through the Word of God, you'll be strengthened. But imagine feeling miserable and not knowing it. That's what the Lord Jesus said. It seems extraordinary, doesn't it? I thought you would know when you feel miserable. He says, these people are miserable and they don't know it. What is the culture of the Laodicean people? They have everything materialistically. And they think that that is the height of spiritual achievement. They think that that is the height of Christian living. He says, do you know what that is? It's misery compared to what I could give you. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Let us not make the mistake that entertainment in the church will kind of spice things up and give us some happiness. He says, that level of happiness is actually miserable. Misery. True happiness is feeding on Christ. And Christ. And Christ. And finding satisfaction in Christ and spiritual things, not carnality. I want to just share a point, and I'm going to move on to the report. When you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you'll find this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writing back to the Thessalonians approximately a year after he had been among them preaching the gospel. So a very young assembly, a very young local church. And he writes back to them, and he says this. He said, when we came to you, we came unto you not in word only. Now, I remember this is uh, the, the ministry of another brother that affected me. I want to pass this on to you. I suppose that's what all ministry is, isn't it? Because one generation just teaches another and that generation passes it on. We try to be original, but we're not really. But I distinctly remember a brother teaching me this. He said, we came not unto you in word only, but... That's what the Bible says, but with a big band, with some entertainment, with a great show. No, the apostles didn't say any of those things. He said, we came not unto you in word only, but in power. In the Holy Spirit, 
in much assurance, knowing what manner of men we were among you. They came in with the gospel. And the gospel presented as it ought to be, worked. And they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. It was Holy Spirit power. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in Holy Spirit power. I fear that my gospel preaching could be sometimes in word only. <laughs> the power. Holy Spirit power. Assurance. But he said this. And I'll close. He said, you know what manner of men we were among you. He said, brothers and sisters, we don't necessarily need better methods. I'm going to term it like this. We don't primarily need better methods. Sometimes we need to change the way of doing things. You know, we can say, nope, it's always been at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night, regardless of the fact that for the last 20 years we've had no one in the door at that time of night, and we're not going to change it because the Bible says when the hour was come, and so we've got to keep it at 7 o'clock. Well, I, I don't think that's displaying wisdom. Primetime television is on at 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening too. And we've found, at least in Australia, that to compete with that is <laughs> quite a task. So maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon might be better. But he said this, we don't necessarily need better methods. We need better men. And that hit me like an arrow through the soul. We need better men. May God help us. To learn some lessons from the lives of the Israelites that we may not be disqualified. These things disqualified the Israelites. We serve the Lord in Australia uh, in a country that is very similar to yourselves. And uh, we're just going to run through some slides here. And again, what I don't finish today, I may finish tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see. My wife and I were called to serve the Lord in 2005. We were commended from an assembly in Melbourne. The assembly is actually no longer in existence. The testimony there has closed. It became very small. And for the last 10 years, for the first two years of our work being commended from that assembly, before the assembly closed, and for the last 10 years of our work for the Lord, we have gone forth from an assembly in Queensland which is namely Kuroi. Now, I'm not sure whether you're overly familiar with the geography of Australia, but I have got a pointer here. I'll just get this pointer. And I will show you roughly where we are so that you can have an idea. There are states and territories in Australia. Now, Brisbane is here, and we are just north of Brisbane in Queensland, the state of Queensland. In Queensland, there are a number of workers, uh, but uh, I just want to, I'll, I'll do what, what Dan taught me. You can scroll backwards and forwards on this, so I learned something new this afternoon. There are a number of laborers in Queensland, mostly the laborers that we know 
and enjoy fellowship with in Australia are older. And we pray that the Lord will raise up uh, younger believers to be commended to the work of God in the Southern Hemisphere, just to be where the Lord calls us. But labor is in Queensland. This brother now here is with the Lord, Mr. John McDowell. Dear friends of ours, Len and Nerida Walker were in Colombia for 15 years and came back uh, from serving the Lord in 1997 and so for the last 20 years have remained in Australia. Um, then Mr. and Mrs. McColl, known to some of you here, uh, they are elderly, elderly now in their late 80s and obviously restricted in their movements. But then there are some reasonably young folk. This dear brother would be in his 50s, this dear brother would be in his 40s, and this dear brother would be in his 50s also. And they serve the Lord in their, in their relative spheres. This dear family, they're right up here on the, north, the, the, the top of Queensland where it is tropical, very hot, and they serve the Lord working in the prisons and working among uh, folk in public to display gospel texts, give away Bibles and tracts and whatnot. We have a great freedom, particularly in the, in the state of Queensland, which is this, this kind of south, uh, sorry, northeast corner here. We have a great freedom to be able to publicly proclaim the gospel. We are actually allowed by the law to go on the streets anywhere in Queensland to proclaim the gospel. There is, no, there is no law that prohibits that. Why does your nose always itch when you're on the platform? I don't know. But uh, there, is, there is no law to prohibit going out onto the streets. Now, only one occasion have I ever been moved on, and it was by a security guard who was plainly wrong. But I said to him just to try and keep some peace uh, I was outside a shopping center proclaiming the gospel on the street uh, at a set of traffic lights and the people were stopping and, and uh, we were able to pray, proclaim the gospel. We often go out just as a family. We will give out tracts. My wife will stand and give out tracts and the children join us and we generally sing as a family and uh, then we will proclaim the gospel. I will preach, of course, um, and uh, then we will move on or we'll give an opportunity for people to speak to us, ask questions. We'll just say, look, if you want to come and ask questions about what we've been speaking about today, feel free to do that. So we do that. I've got another slide here, which uh, um, open air work. There we are. And so various places uh, around, we're doing open air work here. On, on You can hardly see these slides, but uh, there was a little, a brother made a little platform, a little... Um, step-up platform that just unfolds, and he made it for me, <laughs> and the verse on the bottom was, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. So uh, I felt, well, I, I better use this little platform that he's given to me and get out and preach the gospel. We have that great public liberty, and we're very thankful for that, and we pray that that will remain till the coming of the Lord. Now, I don't know what the laws are here, but I would imagine that you have the freedom with the freedom of speech, etc., and whatnot. Things are becoming tighter, and we need to take these opportunities as the Lord allows them to us. These freedoms to go among the people and spread the gospel. Let us not stay in our halls and expect people to come in to a place which, number one, they're unfamiliar with. I, before I was saved, and you might hear something more about it tonight, I would not have gone anywhere near a hall. No way. Considering my background, I was frightened off from those places very dramatically. But I'm very thankful 
that there was a man who witnessed to me and spoke to me personally. And it ended that I was able to go and hear the gospel being preached. But it certainly wasn't the first step. So we're able to go out and preach to, on the streets. And another aspect of the work that we do is a work of putting up gospel billboards in all the main cities. I just actually signed a contract yesterday, got the email through from the lady who we liaise through, and uh, we've put up another few signs in Melbourne and in Sydney and in South Australia and Adelaide. And these signs go up. Uh, again, I'm not sure whether you can see them here, uh, but uh, uh, they're six meters by three meters, great big freestanding billboards, and we are able to put gospel verses upon them with the slogan on every board, read your Bible. If you want to know more about it, you can go to a website which we have advertised on the boards, and it's just read-your-bible.net. Simple website. And you'll see it's actually a website of another brother, uh, a brother in South Australia. I'll show you a picture of him who is doing a work. That's him just there. He and his family are doing a great work down in South Australia here. And uh, among the few workers in, uh, among the workers that we know and have fellowship with, there are only three under the age of 50 in Australia. Australia is 25 million people. It's a country geographically the size of the United States of America. I think you have about 350 million people here. So we have 25 million people, mainly confined to the east coast here and the southeast coast. A few over in uh, Perth, over on the west coast. Looks like, oh no, my finger might have been in front of it. No, yep, over on the, on the uh, west coast there. But uh, mainly confined to the east coast. But our brother works down in South Australia in Adelaide in the city down here. And he's doing a great work <coughs> in an area. Interesting. Now, uh, I know that uh, this has been made reference to by Dan. And this will fit in with his ministry too. Or maybe we were talking about this after the meeting. <laughs> our brother, Brian Stewart and his wife, are doing a work in an area where there is no known assembly. And I say that specifically. Some people ask me sometimes, how many assemblies in Australia? Well, I wouldn't be able to tell you that answer. Because I know the assemblies that I pray for <laughs> and have fellowship with. And I could show you a list of those ones that I pray for on the weekly prayer list. But they're not the only assemblies in Australia. There are many assemblies that I know nothing about because our God is a great God doing a great work. And I wouldn't dare to presume that we are the people. So our brother is doing a, a work. It is a small town. And I think we could be relatively safe and say that there's no assembly in that town. But he's doing a work in that town. And for the last two, three years, he has held a conference. Now, for... for some who may struggle with that term, and I say that sensitively, he terms it special meetings. Because sometimes, and maybe legitimately so, I don't know, some feel that the conference, that the term conference should have just applied to an assembly gathering. But whether you want to term it conference or special meetings, he has a weekend set aside. We just had it last month. And he, he opens, he, 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 they rent a school like this, 
No known assembly. The nearest known assembly to us would be about an hour and a hour and a quarter away, hour and a half away. And he rents a school and he opens it up and he puts the advert in the newspaper. And he has contacted all sorts of Christian believers in the town that he knows that, yes, he can't yet have full fellowship with because there are very great differences in some instances in terms of what is believed from the Scriptures and understood. But he has a Bible study that's going on in his house. He's rented a house in the very town. He's having a Bible study each week with these believers from various walks of life and various places uh, of worship. And so they come in and he's teaching them from the Scriptures. And then he has this conference weekend. It's from 10 uh, 10 o'clock Saturday morning all the way through to 8 o'clock Saturday evening. And then on the Sunday as well. And then he goes from the Monday night, the Tuesday night, and the Wednesday night. And it's purely teaching meetings with Christians in view. So that the body of Christ might be taught what is in this holy book. I thank God for that man and his dear wife. That they're prepared to launch out into the deep. In an isolated place where the ground is tough. And be away from the oasis of an assembly. (laughs) It really is an oasis when you've been engaged in that kind of pioneering work. And so they have this special weekend of meetings and it is to teach believers. And so that there may be, in the will of God, an assembly formed in that town. They would love to see that. They pray for that. The town's name is Strathalban. The dear brother and sister, as you can see, are Brian and Dawn Stewart. And you can remember to pray for them. Now, my time is up. And I will conclude the report tomorrow before we have some further ministry. Thank you again.